We're in Hebrews chapter 2, the book of Hebrews now for the third week. It will be a somewhat of a conclusion to the first two. The famous poet T.S. Eliot had a poem called The Hollow Men, where he wrote, in some ways, a prediction to the end of humanity or the world as we know it. And the most memorable line of the poem is appropriate for what we're going to look at. It says, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. And as we go through the text this morning, it will become increasingly clear how real it is that it is not the catastrophic, but it is the small and steady drift. And we read that, and it seems profound because it runs contrary to how our brains work. We live in the moment. We live in the times and the seasons and the places of our dwellings. We know the things that are right in front of us. So when we think about the dangers of the world and how the humanity is off the rails, we tend to think on the level of the catastrophic, the nuclear bomb, the war and the rumors of war, the zombie apocalypse. And yet, as you just step back and think about how life actually brings challenges into you, into your life, it is the slow and the steady decay. I was reminded of this in my own life as I came across a picture of myself from just six years ago, which at my age, six years is nothing. And I looked at it, and then I looked at myself in the mirror, and I realized that I'm aging. <laughs> and then I realized that I'm actually at an age that I once looked off at a distance at and thought that when I got to the age of over 40, that I would officially be old and I would know that I'm old. That's not how aging works. Here I am, and I feel like I've always felt. And it is only when I look at a photo that I see all of the steady decay in my own body. And we have a physical reminder that is true in almost every category of your life, there is a constant and steady drift to everything. The news that you hear that sometimes brings people to church as though a catastrophe happened is typically news that took years behind the scenes. How did that married couple you once knew that was so perfect end in divorce? It may have been sudden trauma caused in the middle of the night and catastrophic, but it was most likely a slow and steady drifting apart over a number of years. How is it that you can go from holding a child into your arms and realizing it's one of the great moments of life to over the course of that child's life to slowly drift to the point where some parents and children are no longer on speaking terms? It could be catastrophic. It's more likely that human nature is to wander and to drift. And as we have looked at the book of Hebrews and the theme, it has presented us with a real challenge that this letter is addressing. And for the first time this week, we'll, we'll actually see 
The details of the challenge are not catastrophic. Remember, the, the, the theme of the letter is Jesus is better. Don't leave the greater for the lesser. Don't leave what you have for what you once knew. And lest you forget the direction and the actual narrative of the book, you may think that people lose faith because of a catastrophic argument against God. Or a young generation of people who are in numbers we've never seen before losing faith because they were totally solid and then they spent one semester in college and that was enough. The real challenge to your faith and your relationship with the God you came to worship this morning is slow and steady and silent. That is the message that we will look at today that will really be a conclusion to the first two views of the book of Hebrews so far. So read along with me. Chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore, meaning everything that we studied and, and, and considered in the last two weeks is now going to be given a conclusion. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Underline it. Here's the key warning. Lest we drift away. And then he will give a parallel of the two things. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which first began spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witnesses, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. So we have once again a parallel of the lesser and the greater. The author is saying, you now have to give more earnest heed or pay more attention to the things you have heard spoken through the Lord Jesus than even the things you heard from angels. And in conclusion of the first chapter, what he's saying is, here's why this is so important. We didn't spend two weeks elevating Christ above the prophets as a greater messenger because he is the message they were actually proclaiming. And we didn't spend all of last week exalting Christ above the heavenly realm just so we would have the proper hierarchy of theology. The, the study of the, the scripture in exalting Christ is not just so that you have uh, the priority of power and we figure out where we fit in and then we rank prophets and then angels and patriarchs and then Christ. It is so that we would understand what is at stake in the message of Christ. And so this whole thought is really a problem-solution message. The problem is, if you're not careful at who you're actually giving earnest heed, or in our vernacular, who you're paying the most attention to, you will slowly drift away. And in the drifting, he says, you can't escape. This is, in the message that you received from the angels, it was a message that proved steadfast, meaning it was true, and any violation of the message had a just reward for transgression and disobedience. So once again, very briefly, let's try to understand what the author is, is giving us in Christ versus angels. It says, the word you heard or we have heard proved steadfast from angels. What was that word? 
Well, I find this to be another great reason to study the book of Hebrews because you get such a great landscape of the entire Bible. The word that is being alluded to, spoken by angels, is the law. The, the law was ministered to the people of God as the word to follow, the message to be held accountable by, and the law came with justice. It was a reward of justice. When there was transgression, God was just in punishing disobedience. And I don't often think of the, the law as coming by angels, but look what Paul says in Galatians. He says, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions until the seed, Christ, should come to whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a meteor. So what the word is saying is the law came and it proved to be true. And the message of angels, the picture of Exodus as, as Moses, the mediator, is meeting with God. There is a host of heavenly angels bringing the message of the law given by God through angels, through Moses, to the people. And the author is now saying, it proved to be true. Which is an exercise that is good to do throughout Hebrews. When we say Christ is the greater, and the law is the lesser, we are not saying the law didn't prove to be true. The law is God's justice. The law is how we know we're sinners. Jesus himself came onto the scene and said, I did not come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. And Paul is saying the law served a purpose, but now the promised one has come. And so as we hear the solution is to give a more honest heed now, you understood the law, now you must understand the message of Christ, lest we drift away. So let's talk briefly about the warning. Remember the temptation, the letter is written in the context of these Hebrew believers in Christ. They are born into Israel and they're Jewish by blood but they're born again into Christ and they're Christian by faith. And there's a collision of their life happening to follow the greater, but the temptation to go back to what they know. And he says, if you leave the message of Christ, you will be drifting from the actual fulfillment of whatever you leave him for. And that is a picture, the, the, the language of drifting is a picture of a boat at sea. So we're not, unfortunately, we're not oceanside people, but we, we certainly have some water references around us to where we could just see this picture clearly. It is the danger of leaving your vessel without an anchor, and there is nothing that ever good comes from drifting. A, a vessel without an anchor will always drift to its own peril. There will be a drifting into rocks or beach. You'll go aground. You will drift into sea and get lost. You will drift into some foreign island and be a castaway. But drifting is never good. And it is with that picture that the author wants us, us to understand the danger of 
taking our attention away from Christ. You can still be in a vessel. You can still be above the water, but you're drifting in a way that will not be good. Your spiritual life cannot be on autopilot. Here's what D.A. Carson says in a book called A Call to Spiritual Reformation. People do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. These are not things that you just accidentally have happen once you have a picture of Christ. The book goes on to say we drift towards compromise and call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking we have finally escaped legalism. We slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves we have actually been liberated. There is the danger of drifting, seen in a vessel gone aground, taking in water, that is a warning for every relationship of your life. And when you drift away from the anchor point of God in your life, you are drifting towards the compromise that could eventually lead to godlessness. And as we wonder or try to make an assessment, you leave the four walls of the wonderful worship inside of a church, or you lift your head from the Bible for a moment, you get out into the real world, and you wonder why we live in a culture that seems so chaotic. I remind you, it will be very difficult for you to find a catastrophic event to where we were once worshiping God as a people, and now we are shaking our fist at him. What's more likely that you'll find in the honest view of the country and the society we live in is that we have drifted year by year and decade by decade and generation by generation away from a society that desires to honor God towards a society that has gone so close to godlessness that we now feel more free than ever and we are more burdened by sin than ever before. This is the remedy. It, it, it did not happen overnight. And it will not happen overnight in your life. So the question is, how do we prevent having a view of Christ, a moment with him that I believe many of you had even this morning? Some of you may be experiencing him in new and fresh ways like you never have before. And how do we prevent taking these moments and not drifting from them? What is the answer in this? Well, if we continue to just look at the, the, the living parable before us of a boat at sea, there are two things that you will always see as the fight or the endurance that gets you through being lost at sea. One of them is to drop your anchor, to anchor the boat 
on something solid so that when those slow, subtle currents come, you're not pulled away. And that is, in fact, what the Bible offers as a remedy. In fact, to give a preview of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 6, the author will say, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. As we try to navigate the world you live in and the trials that you'll go through and the difficulties of your life and your human nature prone to wander, there is supposed to be an anchor to your life. And so we inform the gathering once again. This is very easily a tradition that cannot benefit your life. Let's live in reality. Church is not a magic bullet against people slowly drifting away from God. But it is an invitation to anchor your life. To know that you live in a rhythm with God and his people that you can come once again as though the first time to to worship him and seek him and hear his word and then find the family of believers over and over and over again so that your life is anchored. And if you're not anchored, no doubt you will get drifted away into the current of our world. It says in Ephesians that God supplies all the offices of a church so that we wouldn't be carried away by the wind of doctrine and cunning teaching. He gives the same metaphor as the problem to why we sometimes have an experience with God that turns into a godlessness with culture. But I think the, the more immediate re- way that we get an answer to the problem of drifting This morning's text is in verse 3. It says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There is a view of God doing something in your life to save you that cannot be neglected. And if you look for the second way that a person trying to keep a vessel on course would keep from drifting. When the anchor's not up, you have to have a fixed point of navigation. So only recently did humanity crack the code of GPS and get all of the the free navigation just by looking at a screen. But for most of human history, God gave this beautiful map in the sky so that people leaving the sight of land could still find a fixed point to stay on course by, mainly the North Star. And by the North Star, the reality that it was a fixed point, meaning it didn't move. As the vessel moves, as the currents try to take you or wind tries to, to, to shift where you're, where you're actually going, there is something that is immovable in the sky and that will navigate your vessel. And now, how do you keep from drifting with your soul? You have to find something that aims and purposes and gives a view of your life that is immovable, that is unshakable that doesn't change. And we have a lesser and a greater of that offered to us through the word this morning. He said the law was giving, it didn't move. God gave his people a special anchor and navigation point by which to live so they they wouldn't fall outside of his perfect will for their life. And inside of that was blessing and covering. And the law never moved. 
And now there is a greater. Now the author of Hebrews is saying the one who came to fulfill the law is the one that we look at and we gaze at and we have our eyes fixed on so that when we leave this place and we live in confusing times and what's left and right and up and down are shifting all around us, there is one thing that doesn't change. Same today, yesterday, and forever. The Alpha, the Omega. Perfect in all of his ways. And we'll give another preview as to where this letter is taking us in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? How does a runner run? He looks out and he sees a finish line, he sees a destination. Looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We are looking at the perfect, visible image of God's purpose and power and will for humanity when we gaze at Christ. And when we say we're prone to wander, we are prone to receive the message of Christ, receive the message of salvation, join the body of Christ, take part in the born-again believer experience, and we are prone to look other, at other things as a point of navigation for our life. He's saying, to keep from drifting, you must pay attention to Christ. And I think the, the text this morning gives us one extra depth to this lest this become a platitude, like we get together and we say we love Jesus, we follow Jesus, go out there, think about Jesus. There is actually a way to bring the picture of your looking unto Christ even into clear view and more focus because he says the danger of neglect is a danger of neglecting so great a salvation. To, to keep from drifting He's saying, do not neglect, pay special attention to the actual work of salvation that Christ accomplished that you received by faith. So I want to share a couple of ways that the word allows us to hold on to a great salvation view that I think will inform the anchor points of your life in a world that is drifting away from God. Consider these verses. Ephesians chapter 2. These are salvation verses that give you a picture of Christ to anchor your life. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. By grace you have been saved. Don't neglect the great salvation of grace. And the currents of this world, with increasing speed and increasing danger, are drifting from grace. Grace is the beautiful message from God to man that it is not by your perfection that you are saved. It is not by perfectly 
applying every ordinance of the law to your life and righteously living that you are saved. It is by the grace of God, completing it on your behalf, you putting your trust in the perfect work of Christ. That's salvation, and it's a gift. Now go into our culture and anchor yourself from drifting from that. Because you are going to experience, without predicting your future in any kind of prophetic way, but just knowing what waits for you, you're going to experience a burden and a weight put on your life for your performance. It's going to happen. People are going to wonder how well you've done at upholding the societal norms. You'll be measured by things you've said and mistakes you've made, and we live in a graceless culture. And it can be very easy to go into the world and then drift back into that in your view of God. As though you're saved by grace, but you're loved by works. It is God's grace that saved you, and it is grace that carries you on. And when you go into the real world that we all live in, you are a messenger of grace. Here's another verse. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. The, the great message of salvation is forgiveness. Don't drift from your standing with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says that in Christ there is no condemnation. Your wrongs have been dealt with on the cross of Christ. The debt has been paid. You are forgiven and set free. And yet we take our view from the cross and we look at just the norms of how the world actually operates and forgiveness is, seems to be at an all-time low. It seems to me that people hate their neighbors more now than ever, and our country seems to be more divided than ever. It seems to me that uh, people have a really great memory of record of wrong, and that we have whole cultural norms in place to where we can unfollow and block and silence and not turn the other cheek, but just turn the other direction when we see somebody. What is happening? We've drifted from the picture of salvation that is made so clear on the cross of Christ. Be kind to one another and forgive one another. Why? Because of this great salvation. This is how it all works. You've been forgiven. How about this one? First Peter, which we just got done studying. So I hope it's still fresh in your hearts as a letter that was written to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. We are born again. We are saved people to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is a great salvation. We are not being saved simply from a period of our life that is difficult. We are not being saved simple, simply from a financial woe or an economic downturn. We are being saved beyond the grave. That is a great salvation. And with that salvation, there is, for those of you who believe, an incredible reality that you get to have as an anchor of your life now. You are people 
that wherever you go and whatever the circumstance is before you and whatever the predicted news is, you have an eternal hope that is alive in Christ. And yet we drift. And we live in a time and a place where hopelessness is considered an epidemic. We live with view of a generation that is coming to lead the church, hear the gospel, receive the good news, and their hope is at an all-time low. In record numbers, young people choosing to end their own lives. They've heard the message of impending doom. They've heard the message of wars and rumors of wars. They've heard the message of an economy that won't survive to give them any kind of future. And sometimes we agree with them. Sometimes believers look around and we think, yeah, and the church isn't that great either. Uh, Sometimes we're the people that were supposed to be messengers of hope and we take our eyes off of salvation and what it actually does to restore an incredible hope in our life and we leave and we drift into the current of hopelessness. The author says, remember how you're saved. It's an incredible hope. It's living hope beyond the grave. It's the message that the world needs now more than ever. Here's another one from 1 Peter. Though now you do not see him, Jesus, you believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You want to have an anchor for your life in a world that is drifting towards godlessness? Have immovable joy. Have a confidence in God's sovereignty and perfect will and power to save and hope of resurrection and the forgiveness that you stand in and the grace that you've accepted that is so real in your life that the news of wars and rumors of wars are a bee sting in light of eternity. We are the people that gazed on Jesus, north star of our hope, should be representing the joy of knowing the creator God. I I love what David says in the Psalms, and for, for his own desire to be restored, he said, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Remember when you were saved. Remember the darkness the hurt, the pain, the confusion that that brought you to your knees so that your heart was ready to receive this good news salvation and you received it. And do you remember the transformative work that God did when he made you born again? You heard that your name was written in the book of heaven. Your sins are forgiven, remembered no more. It was the joy that when you came out of the baptism waters and you just cried and you hugged those who saw it, That's an anchor of your life. That is not some memorial day that is supposed to be remembered once in a while. This is your life. And it's all 
in the depth of those simple words, don't neglect such a great salvation. This is not a small thing. He doesn't say don't neglect the theology of how you can ever be saved. He doesn't say don't neglect the the three-point sermon and don't neglect the the, the songs and the, the, the lyrics that were sung to you. He says, don't neglect the reality of your incredible born again life in God and the joy and the hope and the forgiveness and the grace that surrounds your life now. When you walk in it, you don't get moved by this culture that hates God. You now must give a closer attention to Jesus. He is the bright, shining, fixed point of navigation for your life. And as we've paralleled this, not just with Jesus and those who were the forerunners, but also the times that we live in, this is our only hope. There is no fixed point of navigation that can restore the hope and the grace and the joy of your life, but the savior of the world that has come to save you. It will not come from the election or the economy. It will not come from the, the, the better organized church, the better songs, the better sermons. All of these things are completely wasted if our eyes are not fixed on Christ. And every time we gather, we have two potential outcomes. There's some of you that are here because it's church and it's what people do. Some of you may not even feel that. You love Jesus, but it's just, you're just in a season of dry or drifting. And I'm glad that you're here for that. But church won't save you. Church won't restore you or renew you. The purpose of our gathering is to once again, in the chaos of every one of our lives that only God knows the true depths of the challenges and details we all go through, to lift our eyes once again and say, okay, I see a vision of Christ that I can navigate my life by again. And that is, I suppose, some theology of our gathering. It's also the theology of our communion time. And the same can be true. When we pass out these elements, you are going to hold in your hand a plastic cup with juice and a wafer. And it's so easy to do it because we do it. But here is why Jesus, with one of his final messages to his disciples, said, do this as often as you can in remembrance of me. It is your point of navigation. It, the, 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 the great salvation that unlocks grace, forgiveness, hope, and joy for all of us to stand steadfast for Christ until eternity, we hold it in our hands when we take communion. It, it, communion, the body and the blood of Christ, it is a picture of his grace. You are all welcome to take it with faith in God as that his salvation is your only hope. It's grace. It is the power of forgiveness. It is by his perfect blood over the threshold of your heart. His righteousness, not yours. It is the hope that he didn't stay dead. He rose again. He now sits at the right hand of the Father. 
And for those of us who, in holding these elements in our hand, are looking unto Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith, it is the greatest joy of your life. So, I know I'm not the only one that can relate to this human nature problem of drifting. It's all of us. We all need, once again, a refreshment in the power of God. So as you take those elements, allow God to assure you in his love and his grace and his kindness that this message was, in fact, for you to have a more anchored position in Christ. If you have never accepted Christ in your life, I, I hope that this is not the only message that you're he- you'll hear, but let me tell you this while you're here. There is no other anchor for your soul. There is no other name under heaven by which God has sent into the world that we live in so that we could see the purpose and the plans of God so clearly as in his son, Jesus. If you don't know him, you are in fact drifting. You're drifting in a life that is going farther and farther and farther for the perfect will of God, which is why you were made. But the great news of the gospel is that you are here to hear this message so that with nothing but your faith that God loves you and sent his son for you as well, you can confess with your lips, believe in your heart, and he can become your fixed point of hope, grace, forgiveness, and joy.